This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. This is a special episode of the show. It's actually the audio from an episode of the Soccer Chat podcast, which is hosted by my friends Sean Soderling and Nicholas Rizzo. They interviewed me in early 2019, and I thought they asked some very interesting and lively questions. Plus, I figured it would be a good opportunity to share a little bit of my own story with you since I'm usually the one asking the questions. So I figured it's probably a good idea for you to know a little bit about me and what I stand for and, and how I got to where I am today. So I talk how I talk about how I got into coaching. I talk about how I got into podcasting and I talk about some of the problems that I think American soccer is suffering from. I hope that you enjoy me uh, talking about that. But a big shout out to the guys at Soccer Chat. Be sure to check them both out. I've provided links in the write-up of this podcast, which is available on 343coaching.com, so you can connect with both of those guys and their show. And if you like this episode, you should consider subscribing to the 343 podcast on any platform that you are listening to this to. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you're an ambitious coach that is looking for something that can take you and your team to the next level, you should also check out the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program. It is a powerful and proven coaching education program that is available for a fraction of the cost of other licenses and courses that teach you much less. David Copeland-Smith, founder of Beast Mode Soccer, is in his sixth year as a 343 member. And he said, and I quote, Honestly, it's worth 10 times the yearly membership. You're not investing in the drills. You're investing in an education, a proven methodology, and a phenomenal community of progressive coaches, end quote. The premium coaching membership gives you 24-7 access to videos, ebooks, and audio recordings that help you learn the 343 philosophy and methodology. And you can learn more about the benefits of the 343 premium coaching membership program by visiting 343coaching.com. Now, you will hear me talk a little bit about the 343 coaching education program during this episode. So if you ever have any questions about that, you can always reach out to me. You can find me on social media or just shoot me an email whatever is easiest for you, but I'd be happy to talk to you, uh, talk to you about it and what I've, what I've learned from it and the benefits that I've gotten from it with myself and with my teams. So, yep. Uh, also don't forget that you can get an additional 10% off custom training balls and custom vests from bounce athletics. They are a sponsor of this podcast. Their custom soccer balls are on par with brands like Nike, Adidas and select, but won't cost you nearly as much. So take advantage of their package deal, which includes 24 custom soccer balls and 24 custom reversible training vests, which is available for just $6.99. And if you want more, you can get more. They have a package which is 48 and 48, and you can get that for $11.99. If you want to see what the balls and the vests will look like when they show up on your doorstep, you can email your logo to info at bounceathletics.com, and they will send you free mock-ups of the products. And when you're ready to order, Remember to mention 343 to receive an additional 10% discount. So once again, email info at bounceathletics.com and then mention 343 to receive your discount. All right, that's it for the intro. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with me, John Pronich. All right. 
And give me the correct pronunciation of pronunciation of the last name. Pronich, like a Pronich. like a little like a little piranha. shrimp and a scratch. Yeah, like a like a like a piranha itch. Yep. Piranha itch. <laughs> Pronich. Yep. Pronich. Okay. I'm doing myself like a little pronunciation guide real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, by the way, what was it like? What, what am I listening to your show a lot? What was your, what was it like actually being in Anson Norris's house? That was like, that had been one of the coolest things. Yeah. It was, uh, it was interesting for sure. He's a very intense human being. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you, you wouldn't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. You wouldn't expect, uh, well, I don't know what you would expect from, you know, from one of the most legendary female soccer coaches in the world, yeah. but it's just very average looking house, uh, <laughs> you know, lives right next to the university. He's probably lived there his entire life and, um, you know, nothing, nothing special or spectacular about it. And, and just seems like a, like a normal guy he welcomed us in, offered us drinks, uh, I was with, I was with like a, a crew of people. Um, I was staying out in North Carolina. We were, we were coaching at a soccer camp and that's how all that came about. And so the person who had brought us out there for the camp, um, he drove us out to the, to Anson's house. And then the two other guys that were coaching at the camp came along too. And so they sat on the sofa. One of them actually fell asleep during the, <laughs> during the interview. So he was just listening for an hour, hour and a half, however long we talked and, and he ended up snoozing. Um, but uh, the other two guys, they just they sat and watched and on the yeah on the sofa and you know his his wife came in I don't know five ten minutes after we ended the interview it was just very normal he was a very normal person and that's something that I think that's been consistent across most of my interviews I'm sure you guys can attest to it too but it's like people are are just more down to earth and normal and and willing to open up um, more than people I think would assume I think that being in the spotlight whether as a professional athlete, a coach, a, a celebrity, whatever comes with the, like the stigma of, you know, Oh, that, that person's untouchable or that person is, you know, uh, you know, an alien from out of this world. I, I'd have, you know, no reason, no business talking to this person. A lot of times, you know, the more normal you treat them, the more, uh, you know, the more you get out of them. If yeah. you treat them like a celebrity, if you treat them like a professional athlete, if you treat them like a professional coach, then they they put on the uh, they put on the show which you know the the show is always fake but if but if you treat them real then you get the real you get the real deal which I think is is pretty cool yeah I wish I would have had a video of Nick meeting Anson at Chicago uh, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> top five moment in my life <laughs> how was that that was pretty cool it was fun the whole week that, that whole week was pretty cool how I many never beers did you have before you met him yeah how many did I have before I yeah. met him oh gosh probably. Somewhere between six and eight. It was because you had the biggest beer cheesing grin. <laughs> like whenever, whenever you're out drinking with friends and all of a sudden a dude that you have not seen in like 10 years shows up to the bar and you just get that like, ah, like you totally had that face. That's, that's, I mean, I, yeah, no, it's, it's probably what it was. Yeah, no, that whole night was pretty fun. Answer was awesome. Uh, Becky Burley was there. Too. Like there's just a lot of cool people there that we got to meet that night. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right, Nick, you got your timer? I do. All right. How long uh, how long are we going for, guys? We typically do 45 minutes to an hour, just depending on how well you talk. Cool. If that's all right with you. I'll I'll, I'll try to let you guys get 30 words in. <laughs> there we go. We'll take that. We'll take that. <laughs> we we always tell people if you if the closer the the 
shorter it is a 45 minutes that should give you a sign of like how bad it's going um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you can make it past 45 minutes you know what you're good which you'll you'll be all right <clears throat> all right Pronage, 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 pronage. See Nick in three, two, one. It's we we normally have coaches on, and it's kind of cool to talk about various different things. But we have somebody with us who's kind of in the same realm as us, a coach, but also doing a little side hustle when it comes to creating content for people out there. And we have with us the ever famous John Pronage uh, from the three four three podcast john how are you doing doing good fellas doing good i'm really excited about this and uh yeah i'm hoping that i'm hoping i can entertain you guys for for long <laughs> enough <laughs> well that's that's why we have nick here he does the uh, the entertaining for all of us um you know for for those who may not have have heard of your show or, or may not know you uh just kind of give everybody a quick background uh, on how you got to where you're at now Oof. Uh, if you need to, you can start at U8 playing days where you were leading goal scorer or <laughs> we've had, we've whatever. Had some people do that. We've definitely had some people go back. So if, you need, so if you need to brag about the youth leagues, go for it. <laughs> and now, now you're making me think about like, you know, the first time I graced the cover of a magazine, which I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I think most people did when they were in U8s and the photographer like totally fooled all the kids where they would do the, <laughs> you know, the post yes. picture and you'd end up on the cover. Oh God. Um, no, uh, yeah, so I, I, I host a, a podcast, the 343 podcast. If you search for it, it's in, in iTunes, Stitcher, whatever, 343 FM. Um, how I got to that point is, is, you know, I think somewhat interesting. Um, but I've been, a, I've been a youth soccer coach for almost 15 years now. The bulk of my experience is in high school soccer, coaching both boys and girls, um, uh, mostly at the varsity level, and while I was while I was coaching, um, or early on in my in my coaching development years, I was searching high and low for coaching education, and um, you know I I went ahead and I did my USSFD license. Well, I did my E license first, and then I did my D license. I did a Corver class. I did an NSCAA class. I, you know, had a shitload of books. Sorry, can I cuss on this? Oh, we definitely cuss. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, had a, had a shitload of books and, and DVDs. And, you know, I still have, uh, where? That's a good question. I don't even know where those are. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I still you have. had a, DVDs. I had DVDs. I don't even know if I have anything that can play a DVD at this point. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, I was searching just high and low for, for quality coaching education. I was on YouTube just searching, you know, games and, and training sessions. I still have my original like YouTube playlist of like, you know, watch later list of, mm-hmm. of things that I thought were interesting at the time. And um, I, I frequently revisit that. It's, it's pretty funny to, to go back and think of this, the, you know, the crazy stuff that I was trying with, you know, high school boys and girls. Um, and then uh, eventually, you know, I came across a, a blog called 343 and, um, they were they were writing and, and and covering the topics that I that I kind of vibed with, um, you know, kind of like a anti-establishment um, perspective. They didn't really like agree. With, yeah, they didn't really agree with college soccer. They they thought the U.S. national teams could be better. Um, they they were giving reasons why, and I just really it, I I agreed with a lot of it. It clicked with me, and so. Uh, I, I kept uh, I kept a very close eye on on their work and 
at some point they um at some point i figured out where they were based out of and and you know they had an actual team and so i started to go down and watch the actual teams train and i was learning and studying the coach of their team and um you know fast forward uh i don't know three four five years i I don't remember the exact timeline but um then uh you know i i started to share my coaching education experiences with more people and that ultimately turned into a podcast and so i started having conversations and recording those conversations with coaches because i was interested in learning more and then i started sharing those with people and then without permission i just changed the name of my podcast to the 343 podcast Um, and, and he didn't tell me, no, he didn't tell me yes, but didn't tell me no. And, and, and it just kind of stuck. And, um, you know, a short time after that, I, I, I started officially working with, with the guys. I organized a coaching education event in Las Vegas, kind of, you know, I, I, what did we call it? A summit. So yeah, we called it our summit and, and, and we had about 50 coaches show up in the middle of the desert. And we, we brought some, you know, a coach from Barcelona. We brought a coach or some coaches from LA and then, you know, people liked it. We did it again the next year and the next year. And so, you know, eventually I, I, the podcast turned into me just not leaving (laughs) basically the company. (laughs) We don't really have an office or a headquarters or anything, but, you know, working remotely, I guess I would be the equivalent of the guy that showed up and never left. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and, and yeah, the podcast has grown and grown and grown and we have an online education course. I was a member of that before, you know, the podcast was an official three, four, three product. Um, and, and just, I, I totally, I totally believe in, in the coaching style, the methodology, the curriculum that, um, Brian Clyburn has implemented with his teams from the time that they were, you know, eight years old until now the guys are signing professional contracts this year. You'll see Efra Alvarez, you know, probably start a handful of games with LA Galaxy as a 17 year old. Um, you know, Alex Mendez just signed a contract in Germany. He just debuted he with the United teams that he crushed the most recent tournament us was in. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I came across all that, all that stuff, the guys were nine years old and, and, you know, that's, per, that's probably the most special part of, of the whole, story and not just for me, but for a lot of the people that found, you know, that, that found these guys on the internet, you know, what, nine years ago now, eight, eight, nine years ago, like something about the, those kids, just like you, you could just see like, yeah, this is like, these guys are legit. Like these kids at, at nine and 10 years old are fucking legit. They're going to be pros. And then you fast forward eight or nine years and Alex gets voted best player in the entire country and and kills it at the u20 world cup and it's like you know how (laughs) how that all plays out is is pretty remarkable in my opinion so i feel very i feel really really privileged to be part of it uh, you know a little you know from a little bit closer of an angle i guess um but that's also been my my personal responsibility is to share that experience with more people so I, i realize that people can't be up close and personal with that um as much or as often as I could be. So, you know, the podcast is one way that to get the message out there. And, and obviously the online course is another, another avenue that people can get up close and personal with it. But that's, that's just been my, my personal goal is to just share it with as many people as possible because it made such an impact on me as well. So what, what is it that made that impact? Like, what is it that sets their stuff so far and not even like not, and not in a bad way, what makes their stuff so different that it's so good? 
Well, the, the first, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, it wasn't just words on the internet. So it wasn't just a blog. It wasn't just an ebook. It wasn't just something that, you know, you know, a coach put together and, and then threw out there and, and wanted people to read and, and respect their opinion. Right. So the first thing that caught my eye, um, about the actual playing style was these guys were putting out like video evidence of their work, which I felt was, was different than what a lot of other coaches were doing. Like they're like, Hey, like, you know, here's the product, you know, they're, they're 11 years old, but here's what, you know, top, top, top level 11 year olds look like. And I, th I thought that was really special. And, uh, it was exactly how I wanted my teams to play. So like when I saw, obviously the, the, you know, we call it the famous video, the viral video with, you know, over millions of views. Now I, I, I can't, I haven't checked it recently, but I'm sure it's, it's still over. Obviously it doesn't go backwards, but um, you know, it's over a million views. Um, when you see that, you see like a little mini Barcelona team playing. And I was like, well, that's how I want my teams to play. So I should probably be learning from this guy too, or I can probably learn from this guy too. And so it was, you know, the, the fact that you can actually see it and hear it, and in my case, I would go down and watch it in person so I could like feel it. And, and um, yeah, it's it just, it was how I wanted my teams to play. And it gave me an opportunity to, to dissect their work and, and try to recreate that in my own training environment. And um, I like to think I was kind of successful with it. I don't, I, I mean, I'm, I might be biased cause it's my own work, but um, but I, I put some videos up on YouTube as well and, and people can find those. I, I was not shy about sharing those as, as they were happening, but you know, I, I feel like the, the girls that I was coaching at the time when I started doing that stuff, they were, they were able to, to demonstrate that you can teach this pretty much to any level, um, any level of player, no matter how long your season is, you can, you could come up with, um, or, or you could create a clear identity and a style of play. And a lot of times before that, I think I had, I had personally come up with excuses for why I couldn't, why my teams couldn't play that way, whether it was their girls, um, whether it is their teenagers, whether it is, you know, it's high school soccer. Um, you know, we only train certain days a week or we have so many games per week, laundry list of excuses. Right. And, and other people were reinforcing those excuses you know, other, other coaching educators were reinforcing those excuses a lot of times from my own personal experience. I, I, I don't know if that's if other people have experienced that, but, uh, but this was kind of like evidence of no dude, like if you put in the work, you can do it. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of why I vibed with them. I think. No, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, I think that's been my experience as well. I think, it, and it's something that I've, Definitely personally done when you get to, I, I would say I coached high school for a little bit too. And I think it's cool to hear you say that because I did not take that route. Again, I was pretty, I, I think I was about the same age you said that you were when you were started coaching high school, like we're definitely early twenties. And I think I just, I made the, I, my excuse was always, well, I only get these kids for a month and a half or two months and the stuff I'm going to do won't change. So we're going to just do the best we can with what we're doing and try to find their strengths and make it out of it. And I think the coolest thing that I've seen from the stuff that you put out and uh, Gary and Brian have put out, I think has been that they'll do this stuff. I, I like, it was a few, it was probably a year ago where I saw them doing like a possession drill with like kids born in like 07, 08. 
And it's like those kids are young, young kids, but they're still able to like get these concepts and get these ideas out of them, which was, it was unique. I just, I, there's not a lot of coaches. I think that are really doing a great job of that. And maybe there are, I mean, again, not everyone puts out videos, but it was cool to see someone doing a successful job with that where you, you don't see a ton of it. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of times coaches are afraid to start things too early or, or, or try certain things too early. And, and, I don't have a ton of experience coaching, you know, the younger age groups, but in the, in the, you know, the, the short amount of time that I spent with those kids, uh, I've always been pleasantly surprised at, at the results and, and what the kids can pick up. And it's like, it's so true that the kids are sponges. And, and if, uh, if you challenge them, they'll rise to the occasion and, and things like that. And, and a lot of times I feel like coaches are, are limiting themselves and then, you know, by default, limiting, limiting their players by saying things like, Oh, you can't start tactical training until the kids are 12 to 14 years old, or you can't do this. And, and, and they put the kid, they, they just put so many restrictions on themselves based off of things that they've read or based off of, you know, what they do in other countries or whatever. Right. The, 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 the moral of that, I guess, is stop with, stop restricting yourself. Try things like, like try it. Like if you want to, if you don't think that the, the eight year olds or nine year olds can play possession soccer, you're wrong. You're, you're, you're absolutely wrong. It's just, you're not maybe doing it the right way or you're, you're not, uh, you know, training it enough or you're not giving them the right ideas, whatever, whatever the case may be. It's just, it, it's, it's not too early. Stop restricting yourself. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, I, I don't, I don't want to go off too hard on that subject. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. It's a part-time DOC. I had a budget and, you know, we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high-quality, affordable training balls. That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods. And, and I think we've really got it dialed in to, to where now, you know, with, with our training balls, we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering 343 members and listeners 10% off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. Before we get to talking even more about that stuff, like what was your journey like to, how'd you get to coaching high school? Like, let's start there. Where was that? What was that path like? Yeah. Um, so club soccer didn't really exist in my area when I was growing up. Um, you know, there where was, where was that? Uh, I grew up in Santa Maria, California. It's a little okay. bit South of San Luis Obispo, California. Um, yeah. So, so club soccer didn't really exist here the, you know, there was a two rec leagues. One was on one side of town. One was on the other side of the town. One was predominantly white kids. One was all Latinos. Um, I, I started out playing, you know, my first, two years of soccer, I think in the, in the downtown league. And then I switched to the other one, um, uh, which was close just because it was closer to my house. It didn't exist when I first started playing soccer. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I played all stars and then I got all the way up to high school and, 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 you know, this is just 
because that was the lay of the land at the time that just nothing else really existed. Um, and so I got into high school, I made the varsity team. Um, uh, well, I made the varsity team in the spring season of my freshman year. So I didn't play the the winter season on the varsity team, but my, my, uh, my, my spring season freshman year, I made the varsity team and I stayed with varsity the rest of the, those years, um, had a different coach every single year, which kind of set me up, uh, with like, uh, kind of gave me a bad taste in my mouth from the very beginning, I guess, of when I started to take soccer serious, no, no clear identity, no, no, just no clear ideas, n- nothing, um, consistent throughout my youth playing career. Um, so when I graduated high school, I took a year off and then I went back and I played at a junior college, had another terrible experience with a coach that basically just came and sat the balls down and would go talk to the athletic director. Um, I either would step up and, and run training sessions or we, when the assistant coach was there, um, you know, he, he would run the training sessions, but nothing remarkable. Uh, and then just, you know, halfway through that season, I was just burnt out and not in a sense of, you know, because I didn't enjoy the game. It's just, I hated my coaches. And I hated the experience that I was having. So I, I made a decision at that time to, you know, I, I, I said, like my goal was, I don't want another kid to have the same experience. Obviously that's a big lofty goal. Right. But, um, yeah. uh, so what I decided to do is that that particular year, as soon as my, my college season ended, I went and I volunteered to be an assistant coach at the high school that I had just graduated from just the year before. So that's how I, I got my foot in the door with coaching um, I completely hijacked the program from the coach. Um, uh, the coach was a very nice guy. His name's Dave Rapson. Um, you know, I consider him a friend. Um, but, but Dave wasn't necessarily a soccer guy. Um, and so I, I just completely took over the program from him as a, vo- as a volunteer assistant coach. And I, I did everything. I just never gave Dave a chance to do anything, which, you know, looking back, I could see, you know, <laughs> Dave had every right to be pissed at me and he never was. Um, but kind of the same situation that I described earlier is, you know, I showed up and I just never left. Um, and, and that lasted for five years with the boys team. So, you know, two years as a volunteer assistant, um, for the varsity team. And then they finally gave me the JV head coaching job. I had, you know, had a blast doing that. And then, um, the, the varsity head coaching job the year after that, um, stuck around for one more year decided to take a break from high school soccer coached college club soccer spent you know two i think it was a spring fall spring with those guys or maybe fall spring fall but it was three seasons with those guys three of their seasons with their, which are super short um and then i came back and i started coaching the girls at the high school and i spent three years as the as the girls varsity head coach and then sprinkled throughout there's you know our our you know assignments with different clubs uh, club soccer really started to to um, bud when I was probably a sophomore in high school, maybe a junior in high school, it started to started to take shape. And then by the time I was like 21, 22, there was, you know, two established clubs in town. And so I, I did some, I did my time with both of those um, coaching again, boys and girls, multiple levels, um, things like that. But yeah, I, I, I always say that, you know, my, the bulk of my experiences as a high school coach and, you know, it was, it was five years with a boys team, uh, four of those with varsity, one with JV, and then um, three years as a varsity girls girls coach. So that was kind of the trajectory, I guess. Well, I think it was cool. Like, I mean, again, hopefully this is not, uh, like I, you posted something on Twitter the other day. I really liked it. It was like kind of like your link of like kind of your journey a little bit, like but a more a more 
like shortened version of the kind of stuff they were talking about right now. But one of the things I thought was funny, you put, I'm sure it was a little, it was sarcastic was talking about like how, you know, it was something like, you know, nothing, you're just a high school coach. And I, I thought that was kind of a funny tongue in cheek because my big argument with everyone all the time is I hate arguments from authority. Like I hate like saying like, if a person has this job or this license, they're automatically smart. And if this person has this job or this light or lack of a license, they're automatically wrong and dumb. And so I, I think that the thing that we, I, I really enjoy about your story is clearly you've made something for yourself, but you kind of even like, like we're kind of, I think poking fun at yourself yesterday or a few days ago about that. Like just that, you, that was your main experience was as a high school coach, but it doesn't mean you don't have any experience. Well, my, my experience as a high school coach kind of taught me more than just coaching as well. It kind of opened my eyes to why it, it's still going to be difficult for me to pursue a career at a higher level of soccer in this country. And so, you know, as, as I'm, you know, coaching high school soccer, obviously I, I had aspirations to coach much more than, you know, JV boys or varsity girls or whatever I was at at the time. And so I was always, I was constantly searching for, for jobs. You know, I was on, um, fucking a, what's the, what's the site? Is it, it must be the old NSCA site where they have like a careers tab. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. They still yeah. have it. Yeah. And so, um, so I, you know, I was always on there looking at, at jobs and, you know, you know, thinking of, of ways that I can, you know, take this to the next level. I had set a goal for myself really young that, I wanted to be a professional coach someday and I've kind of redefined that goal over the years. But, um, you know, I, I was actively trying to make that a reality and, you know, I was trying to get into coaching courses. I had had attempted, or I started to attempt to get into the USSFC course for, well, let's see, I started when, uh, it must've been in 2011 when I first applied and I got denied and that was, you know, that kind of shook me a little bit. Um, you know, I, I tried again. I was, I tried to get into the Spanish speaking only class. I, you know, I, I was knocking at the door. I was banging at the door to, to try to keep progressing myself. And so going back to the, to the job boards, you know, I would, I, I noticed that almost all of the coaching jobs that they were posting were college jobs. And all of those jobs require a college degree. And I didn't, I don't have, I still don't have a college degree. So I realized like, well, fuck, like, why do I need a college degree to coach soccer? Like, that's pretty stupid. Um, you know, that, that has nothing to do with my on-field experience as a coach or a player. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And, and so, the, you know, that really opened my eyes. And so at the same time, I'm starting to see some of the, the, the words written by Gary uh, talking about college soccer and, and talking about the license programs with USSF and things like that. And, and that, so things start to make sense, right? Like it's not necessarily about your on-field performance that gets you to these positions. And so I like what you said earlier about, um, you know, me kind of saying, Oh yeah, I'm just a, a high school coach. What the fuck do I know? Um, but I've, I also realized like why I'm pigeonholed as a high school coach and why some of these guys that have like this arrogance about them because they're in a, in a professional organization, it's like, cool. Like, that's awesome that you work for new England revolution. But when New England Revolution sucks dick for 10 years and and you still work for them, how can you possibly be proud of that? Number one. And number two, if this was anywhere else in the world, you would be irrelevant. 
that you would you would be New England not revolution. You'd be New England a, re- a, re- a revolution or whatever. I don't know how to say it you know, in a joking in a joking way. But you know, so I, I I really became open to this, or my eyes became open to this this big problem that we have in American soccer, and, and it's this you know this lack of this merit based competition based system, and and that's what enables you know uh, these people to have that that arrogance to them. Um, unwarranted arrogance, I, I, w- I would add to that. Um, and it also keeps me in a position and so many other people too, so many other people in a posi- in a lower position, you know, whether that's pigeonholed at coaching U12 boys soccer um, or co- just coaching high school or just coaching college because you can't progress. There's no, there's no way to progress other than, you know, favors or impressing the right person or relationships with other people. Like really that's how people get ahead in American soccer. And it's really, really unfortunate. And, and I should also say that, you know, that's my opinion. I'm sure that other people are going to disagree with that. Um, but that, that is, you know, what I've come to learn from my experiences within the game for the last 15 years. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I, I'm, you're far from the only person I remember when I was going through trying to get like my first head coaching job, like I had been an assistant and like at the college level. And I remember the entire time when I'm like getting denied, getting interviews, getting denied, getting interviews. I remember just thinking the entire time I go there, you're hiring this dude that just went five and 13 at the last three schools he was at and left all those schools. It's like, at some yeah. point you got to take a chance on someone that it's, it might be a risk because I don't have a resume, but I mean, you, you at least, you know, this guy's resume, it's not a great job. And so it, that, I, I think you're far from the only person that looks at that and sees those types of things. Because I think that one of the hard things I, like you pointed out is right now, a lot of American soccer isn't a meritocracy. It's, it's more who, you know, it's more what experience you have because licenses are hard to get. I mean, I was, me and Sean were joking about this. I, I'd gotten denied from a few different licenses and a few different programs and now we started this podcast and I'm sure it's the exact same or something similar with you. I have more experience and more connections and more people that I enjoy talking to through this than I would have ever got through any of those things that I would have had to pay. To. There's, there's more development in this yeah. and talking to coaches every week and, and asking them questions that, you know, you probably would never ask in a licensing course. And, and I'm, I, I've learned this in my time working in education that professional development the more you can get it, and especially the ones that the de- development that you can get from within that's good is what's going to be better for you. Like uh, the cool thing, like with my wife's school corporation, like, yeah, she could go out and go to all these conferences all over the country and pay for the conference and pay for the travel to get there. But her school corporation is so good that they do it from within their own. Like they can still go do whatever, but they do these ones from within their own because they have so many good people there that it's like they learn so much just from just from talking literally every day, like is a PD day for them. And I think that just as coaches, like what Nick and I and, and yourself too, John, you know, with your show. Like you can't put a price tag on that. Like whatever the cost of a a license costs, like isn't is invaluable compared to what we're getting just out of the, these conversations with other coaches. Absolutely, man. Um, I just want to point out you're you're well over your thirty word limit, so you need to stop talking. Yeah, okay. no, we need to. <laughs> that's why I, I, that's why I was letting Nick talk for a long time. I like I think I'm like at like twenty two words. <laughs> But, but I, I do want to, I, I do want to give you a massive shout. Cause you were talking about like the, the whole thing about having degrees. Like, so I have an associate's degree 
Uh-huh. Been, I went to school for like. Seven. Oh, dude, I have I have five of those. Sweet. I went to junior so, college forever. <laughs> yes, JUCO, JUCO, stand up. That's my guy. So I so I ended up going back to school a few years before we had our daughter, and then um, when we were pregnant the first time, um, I, I I had gotten out of school. So I, I literally had probably like a year left. But overall, I went to school for like seven years, and the I've never like I, I've only applied for probably two head coaching jobs in college and at like really small schools too. And never even like got a sniff, like no response, no, like, thank you for applying. You suck. So we're not going to interview like nothing, just no response. And so my fear is always, well, is it because like, I don't have that, you know, quote unquote, that bachelor's degree, but yet you can look at my experience. I never flunked out. Yes, I have uh, an associate's degree, but I went to all these other, or I went to this other school for for my time to add to my uh, degree, you know. And sometimes life happens, and and I think like it's hard for people to accept that to where like, hey, like I've done all this college time, uh, you know, so I don't have a degree, but I've got these years that sh- prove that you know, like I've worked, I've, I've done well at it. Um, but I, I, I think it was when I was taking my advanced uh, national diploma for United Soccer Coaches. Uh, I was reading the, the presentation that they sent you before you go. And it's talking about coaches that, that work full-time that they surveyed. And 5% of them uh, were coaches with junior college degrees from, with associates. And I was just like, okay, so that's like, that gave me so much confidence that like, now I can say there are others like me and, and, and like you as well. So like now there's... If, if a school was to try to come at me and say, well, you know, all you have is an associate, I feel like I can now use that go, well, look at this. I don't know who this 5% is, but these are, there's, a, this is a documented survey that there are 5% of coaches that they interviewed, uh, whatever that number may be of the, how many they, they interviewed, but there are people with the same degree as me who are doing this job that you're trying to fill up. And, you know, kind of like Nick said, you're going to go out and hire this guy or girl who went five and 13 for the last three years, or, Hey, here's what I've done. Here's how I've been successful. Give, give it a chance and see what you, you know, see what you get out of it. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause like, that's something that always burns me up about, like you said, like we can't go to school for soccer coaching, you know? And like, mm-hmm. there's, there's no soccer majors uh, anywhere that I know of at least. So like, use if we don't have the bachelor's degree and you know we're applying for an assistant job let that be kind of like that internship almost and like learn through there and then do our time pay our dues and then hey you've been an assistant at x college for however many years all right now you're ready to go and now you've got that time of being an assistant somewhere that some schools will be like yeah you don't have this degree you don't have that but you have spent a lot of time uh, paying your dues, learning the the college game in and out, and you can go from there. So, like, man, shout out to you! Like, you just you just got me all hyped up now. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm coming for that Midwest Conference, Nick. <laughs> I'm gonna beat you in my very first game. You should, you go for it. um yeah but i mean but but going through that experience like it it just like i mentioned earlier opened my eyes to so many of the other problems right and and you know i legitimately thought as a young player and as a young coach that college was the right route like you know this is the route that you should go you know this like that's the route that i wanted to go as well like i wanted to go play college soccer and then you know after I went through that little experience, I still wanted to coach college soccer in my head. I was like, yeah, I want to coach college soccer. That's like, that's like coaching pros. That's what I thought. And you know, now, so this is Jesus, 
you know, 10 years, 10 years later, 11 years later, I'm, I know, I know that, you know, college soccer is not the place where, where I ultimately want to be. Um, and, and now I'm, now I'm seeing, you know, the, the barriers to entry for where I really want to be, which is, you know, the actual professional game and, and, you know, the, the, the roadblocks that are there, not necessarily on a, on an individual basis. Like I'm not talking like there's, you know, uh, a roadblock right in front of me, but I'm talking like a, like system roadblocks, um, yeah. you know, like, you know, entire communities being disenfranchised and, and not welcomed into the professional ecosystem. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and the example I always give is, is my own backyard, San Luis Obispo. Um, I, I, I live in a, in a beautiful area, you know, filled with great wineries and breweries. And the ocean is literally a hundred yards from where I'm sitting right now in my house. Um, I hate you. Um, it is raining outside though. So I won't walk out there tonight. Um, but you know, there, there's a, a university with 20,000 students. There's a junior college in town with, with probably 10,000 students. Uh, the, you know, the area's population between Santa Barbara and, and just a little bit North of here is probably, you know, close to a million. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit South of that. Um, but there's not a development Academy. Uh, Santa Barbara had, the U 12 and U 14s, but I think they're getting those taken away, uh, but they didn't have the full Academy. So no, there isn't a full development Academy for a uh, hundred and probably 160 miles or so from my house in either direction. So either going out towards Fresno or Bakersfield North to San Jose or South to just, just North of Los Angeles. And so it's like, you're like these, 750,000 people here are just not welcomed into the elite youth soccer game. And, and that's not even talking about the professional soccer game. So the nearest professional teams to me are even further away. And, and, and that's even crazier. Right. And so yeah. I started, to, I, I started to you know, ask myself, why, why, why is it like this? Why is there no development Academy here? Why can't I have a professional team where I live? And I sound like a, a spoiled 10 year old girl right now saying, why can't I have this? Right. Um, but that, that's how I feel. It's like, you know, there's no, there's no reason other than arbitrary reasons uh, for, for me and the rest of my neighbors to not be able to enjoy not just professional soccer, but professional sports uh, in general. Like there's no reason why we can't have a football team, a basketball team, a baseball team, like baseball's huge here. We have, we send a kid to the pros every fucking year. Why is there no professional baseball team in San Luis Obispo or in Santa Maria? It blows my mind. And it's because I think, of- well, with like the whole DA thing, like I live in Indiana and I live in the third largest city and I fairly certain Indiana has one DA Academy and it's in Indianapolis. Dude. And- I just, I just talked to, to Chris Richards dad the other night. I interviewed Chris Richards dad. Um, you know, you know, Chris Richards is, is I know uh, he's the kid that just signed for Bayern Munich. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I talked to Chris Richards' dad the other night. There is not even a development academy in the entire state of Alabama. So he had to move to Texas to join a, a development academy. And and when he first tried out, actually for FC Dallas, they they turned him down. They're like, nah, like thanks, but no thanks. So he joined another club. Um, what is it called? The Houston Texans or whatever the the DA yeah. equivalent is. And then, and then those guys, they smashed on FC Dallas that year and they actually won the national championship. And then FC Dallas was like, Hey, like, Hey, Chris, remember us? Like we want you back. Um, and so, so he ended up going over there, but moral of that story is he had to leave his home. He had to leave his, his state 
He had to leave his state to go to another state just to play development academy soccer. That's we, we have kids insane. in our we have kids in our area. I would say every year we have, um, I think we have like four or five in our city who have to go either at one point all the kids were going over to St. Louis to play DA there, and then um, they stopped doing that. And I, and I don't know what the reason was, but then I know that every kid ended up going up to Indianapolis uh, instead. And it's just like kind of like you said, like you know we're the in in the end there's like little sections that are that are quality soccer places and where i live at is definitely one of those especially we've got two good college soccer teams we could have a semi-pro team or a like low division uh pro team if we really wanted to because there is a a, a good support of soccer in our area but like like you said for da like why would why would why would not every state have at least one and why these states that are if you go look at the 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 team here in the state of Indiana, it's DA team. I mean, the kids are from all over the state. You know, what if you ha- if the, if there's one kid from this city there, you know, there's got to be another maybe six in that same city or within that mm-hmm. area of kids who aren't driving to get there. You mm-hmm. could make all these big teams. Uh, it is because your area is much much larger than mine. But like, you, there's all these opportunities, and like you said, like we're keeping. Kid, not just kids we're keeping people away from having these opportunities that like you said like no kid and no family should have to move states just for their kid to play at a high level that's for me like i can understand you know moving an hour or two away you know stay in the same state whatever but like moving to a completely different state that's absolutely asinine well and and, and you have to apply I guess a little bit of context with that, right? So if you're getting recruited by the, you know, the, the top, 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 top team in the world, like say for instance, Barcelona wanted you or Ajax wanted you or Manchester city wanted you, you know, that's different. You know, you, yeah. you know, if your career trajectory is going to go on a completely different path because of the, the, you know, the Academy that you're going, but you have kids driving, you know, two, three, four hours to play for Joe Schmo's, um, you know, development, uh, premier elite, uh, whatever buzzword you want to throw into the, to the title of their team. Right. And, yep. and that's not, and that's, that's nothing special. Like, th- like you're, you're asking parents to drive three, four hours round trip, um, uh, for really an average soccer experience. And that's, I would say that's very, very common for people to do. People are, are driving uh, or traveling extreme distances to get a very average soccer experience. And that same average soccer experience could be, could absolutely be accomplished in probably their own neck of the woods. Um, I, I would say the people that, that are, you know, on that high, high, high level trajectory, you know, those are few and far between. Um, but that's, I mean, that's not, to, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from, from trying to take that route. Um, but it would be a completely different ecosystem if every little community was empowered and, and incentivized to try to be better than their neighbor. Yep. And, and, and so then all of a sudden, you know, we have all these communities across the country that are fighting to be the best instead of just fighting to exist. Well, that's a completely different ecosystem. Like why would you not want to stay and help your hometown be the best? Yep. I would, you know, I, I, that's, that's crazy. I think everybody given the opportunity to, you know, stay and play for their, for their hometown, take, um, uh, take like river and Boca for instance, right? Like, you know, yeah. 
why would you not want to grow up and play for the team that's based in your neighborhood? Why would you not want to represent that team? And we don't have that type of experience here in the United States. Not one bit. Like I, <laughs> I gave the example um, the other day on, on another, another guy's show that I was on, uh, Jason Broadwater. Uh, oh yeah, Jason's awesome, dude. Yeah, um, what's his show's name? On the Touchline, and 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 I went off on a tangent. And I was like, dude, I can't, I, I can't think of any any examples from any of the club players that I've coached that would like bleed, that would bleed for our club team. Like, why? Like, what would be the point of them like bleeding for our club team that you know charges their parents three or four hundred bucks uh, uh, a quarter or whatever? Like, like. The, the 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 passion is not there but when i was coaching high school soccer the kids would bleed for the jersey they loved representing yeah. their school they loved representing their community they loved being in the newspaper they loved being on the news the next day they loved being able to talk shit to their friends uh, <laughs> you know uh, that, that are from across town they like they love that experience mm-hmm. I, I never i've never gotten that feeling with club soccer no. and you could say that it's because I'm from an area where club soccer is not that big or uh, because it's not that competitive. Sure. Like no problem. I, you know, I'll give you that, but I still don't think that there's that same passion for the community and that same passion for representing your city and, and like your culture. I, I just don't see that in American club soccer. Well, I, I, I think just from my experience, cause I know the club I'm currently with just re- changed their name a few years ago. And originally it was, the name was specifically on with the city's name. And there's more kids who play for the, who played for the club who weren't from the city. Yeah. So they would so why always would they bleed for that. Why would they bleed for that? So, city? Yeah. Yeah. So then, it, so, and then also when we were trying to get kids to come to our club, they're like, well, I don't want to, I'm not from that city. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to come play there. So when the club changed their name, all of a sudden kids from across the river are coming kids from two, three, four hours away are, are driving here. And it's funny because we had this actually when, when I was in Michigan, we were talking about why can't we get kids, these better players who are in these no-name, quote-unquote, no-name areas to come play for us. And it was like because literally it, it has this city's name attached to it. They, they are not from here. They have no like emotional attachment to that name. And so I, I, that's, the, that's the crazy part about – I'm one of those guys. I love high school soccer. I hate high school soccer. I love high school soccer. I hate high school soccer. <laughs> and when I coached it, I absolutely, absolutely loved it. It was, it's one of the best feelings in the world. But then as I sit on the, on the sidelines now on the other side, it's like, Oh, I hate it. Like, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, because, but the thing that I love about high school soccer is I love that spirited atmosphere. And like you said, like those kids are willing to bleed and die for that school because that's what they represent. And I don't know, like, I can't think of other than, you know, communitizing. I don't even know if that's a word, but I want to just make it up. Communitizing <laughs> Webster's thor- thesaurus and dictionary. If you hear this, like that's my word from here on out. All the best words, man. All the words. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doing that with each city. I feel like I read something about this. I feel like somebody wrote an article about um, the best way to get MLS more popular is to, you know, to get these teams in these areas that aren't, uh, you know, um, Austin, Texas, or they're not, uh, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio, places like that. And I give these, these cities, clubs and to help them get better and promote them because then you're going to see more kids. Like you said, for high school soccer, 
how many little kids attend the games that you guys play? And how many of those little kids want to be those freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors that play for you? They want to be that one day when they grow up. Well, the club games, who comes out to those games? Mom and dad. Parents. <laughs> and, like, so, and or the little brothers and sisters that are just because they have to be, and they're normally off running around, playing on the playground or doing something else. So like, what is a way, I, you know, and who knows, this is probably the, the, the mystery question. How can we do that with club and turn it to where, like you said, kids want to bleed for that, that, that uh, logo on their shirt? No, it's, it's, it's incentivizing everybody to, to, in, uh, to, to be the absolute best and, and, and want to climb the ladder in the American soccer e- ecosystem. So, you know, if every community had its own team, and every community is fighting its way to the top. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's it. You have to empower the entire. You have to empower the entire soccer ecosystem. Um, like, I kind of lost track of of the question. I'm just thinking of like, you know, like why 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 would somebody in Bozeman, Montana, right now? Why would that person invest in in soccer? Right? Yeah. There, there's no reason for that person to invest in soccer because they're 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 the door's closed. Like they can't go anywhere else. And like, like you they, said, why would somebody drive four hours to go play for a city that they have no attachment to when they could just play right there in their home city and like give everything for that place where they grow up? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? What better way to you know to to light a fire in American soccer than to tell just send a message to every to every community in the United States. Like, Hey guys, if you want in perfect, you know, the doors are wide open. Everybody can come in and compete. And if you're good, you go up. And if you're not, you go down. And if you keep sucking, you keep going down. If you keep doing good, you keep going up. So you're a, you're a promotion relegation guy. Um, Yeah. I'm that guy. I, I am too. I, so I, so I'm, I'm glad that there is another one of us, Nick. I, I don't know if we've ever gotten your opinion. We never right? talked about. It. I'm, I'm definitely into it too. Well, I, I like kind of like what you talked about, John, when you, what you were, what you were just saying. I think it, it, it's like this is gonna sound so like bad. This, it's a really, it's a capitalism concept. It's an American concept. Like if you do good, you do, you get better. You know, you get more stuff. And so like that's the thing I never really liked about the current setup with the MLS is like, like you were talking about earlier, if you're the new England revolution, you're horrible. Like there's no consequences. Like you just keep doing what you're doing. And like, it's the same thing with major league baseball. How many minor league baseball teams could beat the, the Tampa Rays? I don't know. I don't know. Baseball at the bottom enough. Well, I I don't either, but I'm just saying like, that's a perfect example. Like I tell anytime I get in this debate, like I, I'll never forget being in Michigan with my family up there or with my wife's family and watching the last day of the, the prim league season and how they've got like seven games on at the same time, because if this person scores, these three teams are dropping. And if one of those three teams score, then another person drops down and they're out of league. And they were just blown away by the concept of like, Oh my God, like they won't get to play in that league next year. And it's like, no, if you suck, you're out the three best from the next league, you come up. So like I said, like how many, you know, minor league baseball teams are really, really good that could move up and play in the majors and how many major league baseball teams suck and could move down and play. I just think it's insane to think that, you know, we only have 30 teams worth of professional baseball players in this country. Like that's, that, that, that's absurd to me. 
Yeah. How many little boys and girls grow up playing baseball and softball and we only have enough to populate 30 teams at the professional level. That's absurd. And, and, and not even, not even with just American players either, because that's 30 teams that are, are getting, you know, players from Japan, from Puerto Rico, from Dominican Republic, from wherever Venezuela. And, And so you're telling me that there are less than 30 teams worth of American kids that are professional quality in baseball. Uh, I call bullshit. Yeah. Yep. Well, the crazy, I never thought about that statistic yeah. until you just said it. Yeah. That, well, the craziest thing that one, like, this is not your point at all, but one of the crazy things I saw the other day was that like, like I guess it's kind of your point. Cause we talk about like the youth leagues and stuff like that there. I think there's something like less than 50 kids that have ever played in the low league world series are playing professional baseball. Huh? So yeah, I, they, I, and they, they bring that up every year about like during the little league world series, like this is the, the biggest stage that these kids will like 95% of these kids will ever be on playing baseball is this stage right now. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, the other day. that's yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And, and those kids, you know, at that, at that moment, you know, the kids, the families, the coaches that are coaching those kids, you know, they probably believe wholeheartedly that their kid is, is good. Their, their kid is going to make it like, yeah. you know, you know, there, there's no reason for them to think at that point that they're not going to be the ones to make it. And so it's it just, it, it, it makes me think like, at what point do they come to accept the way that the system is? And they're just like, Oh, like, you know, that's just the way that it is. And it's never going to change. So, you know, I just wasn't good enough. Like, no, like y- y- you're plenty good enough and you should be able to fight your way in and you should be able to prove that that you're good enough and your team and teams should be able to prove that they're better than bottom feeder teams that just yep. exist. You know, um, I, I, you know, funny because yesterday was the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the Patriots win and, you know, a small percentage of the country is celebrating. Right. And everybody else is like, fuck the Patriots. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like these, per- these perennial, these perennial winners, like these guys that pursue excellence, like these guys that, you know, just, you know, love winning, 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 winning. It's like, you guys sound like losers. Like, why are you guys complaining that these guys are so good that they win every single year? Just because you want something, you want to give somebody else the chance. You guys have the chance. Yeah. Like there, there's 30 other teams in the league to have the chance to win. And they don't. Like, I, I, <laughs> I root for the pay. I was rooting for the Patriots. I was talking to someone about this the other day. Someone's like, who are you rooting for the Patriots or the Rams? And I was like, I root for dynasties all the time because yeah. as, a, as a coach, I want to eventually have my own. Like that's like my goal. And so like, why I need to know it. Like, I want to know it's possible. Like I want to know someone can stay on the top forever. Like that's where like UNC's in the college cup. Like I root for them every single time. UConn women's basketball. Yeah. I hope Gina Ariarama wins like 20 more titles. <laughs> like, it's just like, I root for successful teams because I want to know it's possible. Well, people, people tend to ignore how much work and how, you know, how great that work is. But how, but how much work goes into being able to sustain top level and people will, you know, talk about Barcelona and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and Manchester city. And, you know, the, the money, the, the money aspect, like, Oh, they just buy good players. Like, yeah, they buy good players and then they still have to do the work. Like it's still, it's still a remarkable amount of work to achieve that year after year after year. Alex Ferguson, maybe one of the best examples in, 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 you know, club football, you know, to have that type of success over the course of two and a half decades. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
Like that's, that's an insane amount of work, no matter how much money that the team is investing. And then here's the kicker though, is that people fail to realize like, yeah, if those guys don't invest, then somebody else is going to invest and take their spot. So they can't, they can't take the time off. They can't not invest. If That's they don't Chelsea that, after they win a champions or yeah, after they and, win a tournament or, or when they win a trophy, they look, I, I predicted every year. I always tell people as soon as Chelsea wins the prim league, I'm like, they're going to suck next year. Cause they're not going to buy anybody because they, uh, they have this mentality. Oh, well we won with this group. We're going to win with the same group next year. No. Cause like you said, everybody else is upgrading and, and trying to maintain that upper status. Well, imagine, imagine being a plumber, right? Imagine being a plumber. And you're a plumber for five years and you have a lot of business, you know, you know, business is good, whatever. And then uh, another plumber emerges on the scene who, you know, is doing good work and he has the latest technology. He has, you know, the fancy equipment and people start going to him. Okay. What are you going to do? Right? Like you, you need to, you need to invest money to take your customers back or buy or, or, you know, take your spot back at the, at the top of the plumbing pyramid, whatever. So are you going to sit there and, and not invest? Or are you going to invest? I'm going to invest, right? And 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 so for whatever reason, like people just they they can't they, they I don't know if it's because they become too emotional or because they're influenced by what they see on ESPN or Fox or whatever. But it's like they just fail to connect those dots. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where I was going. I would like to see the plumber's pyramid. <laughs> if anybody's listening has one of those, I yeah. just send that my way at Coach Sauter. We, we, we debated kind of doing with some of the podcasts. We did a few times with Dean where we just take out excerpts from the interview and put that's the excerpt right there. Imagine a plumber. No, no, I'm leaving that in the <laughs> I want the plumber's pyramid. <laughs> I, hope, I mean, I hope that makes sense though. It's like, but, it, and going back to what, um, what you said earlier about, uh, you know, that's, that's American. That's, that's capitalism. Like that's what this country is, is about and founded on. Um, and maybe, maybe more so right now than ever before. Right. Um, but, uh, well, and the owners don't want to lose the money. They, they don't want to take that risk because they know like the MLS owners, they know that they're guaranteed locked in. They're going to get this compared to, Oh my God, we might lose and, and, and get knocked down to the second division. And I'm going to have to pay even more to get back up. I like, get, exactly. it's so stupid. They, so probably, they probably all watched Sunderland till I die and went and like took like a good cry in their beds if that ever happened. That was like I, I forget what one of the conventions I was at. Uh, I want to say it was, gosh, maybe oh eight or oh nine, and some English guy was just like, if I was one of these European rich people or you know these these groups that are buying into the Premier Premier League, why would I not go to the MLS and buy a team because I know I'm going to stay top. So I'm going to take, stay in the top flight and I can spin whatever. And you know, I, it doesn't matter. Like I'm still always going to be in the top. It does not matter. Well, dude, I, I have a response to that. So I think the chance of, of making money, making exponentially more money uh, with your investment, even though there's risk attached to it uh, is, is a greater incentive in the premier league or, uh, you know, even a, a different yeah. European league than, than, knowing that you have a safe investment that isn't going to give you as much return in major league soccer. And, yeah. and, you know, they, they've used the excuse for years. Like, you know, that it's been published. I don't know how many times and I, I never believed it, but um, you know, the MLS loses money um, like, Oh, like, you know, the owners are, are basically donating their, they're donating their billions of yeah. dollars. <laughs> so that way you can enjoy soccer. Like I've never believed that for a second, but that's the narrative that they push for, for quite some time, I feel like. And, and so I, uh, yeah, it's 
I don't think that they make a killing, um, especially in comparison to the rest of their portfolio, right? Like some of these guys, they own, you know, you know, billion dollar companies. Well, and like the craft, I mean, they own the Patriots and new England revolution. Yeah. So, so I, I think a lot of these guys, you know, the, the return on their investment is, you know, much, 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 much smaller, um, than, uh, you know, than the rest of their portfolio. But I think that a lot of people don't invest here because that return can only be, you yeah. know, that small. Like, the, like it's never going to be a humongous return um, versus a Leicester City, for example, right? And, 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 and that's, an, that's an extreme example, right? That's, that's you know, um, maybe something that will never happen again. Uh, who, who knows, right? But, you know, I, I don't personally know the numbers, but I think the return on investment of jumping from third to second division might be equal to an MLS team or, you know, that jump from second to, you know, bottom half of the premier league might be equal to, uh, you know, having an MLS team and, and, you know, the Jersey sponsors and, 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 and the TV contracts and everything that goes along with being in, in the premier league, I think is more attractive than having a safe, you know, a safe investment with a little bit of return in, in American soccer. And, and with those people, why would you not try to make more money out of it? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. Um, And and then when you drop down to the second tier of American soccer, you know, I I don't think that's, that's an interesting investment whatsoever. Um, And you drop down to the third and fourth divisions of American soccer. And I think you're lighting money on fire. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And like, I mean, again, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think I probably, one of my favorite things that I, I've been able to follow with your stuff is how honest and like, like almost blunt you are with the, <laughs> the stuff you put forward. It, it's kind of funny. I remember, I think I followed you on Twitter before I started listening to your show, you guys. And um, I, I, like, I remember the first time I listened to your show, I was like, man, this guy just seems like a lot. He's a really soothing voice. He seems like a lot nicer <laughs> of a guy. Than, <laughs> maybe he's, Little did you know, know that if I talk like Barry White, <laughs> I can make everything sound fantastic. <laughs> I said, if, if you listen to the Barry White voice or I listen to my Bob Ross voice, that you can make any statement as much anti-establishment as you want it to be. Be so soothing and sound. Everybody just buys into it. I heard you show i was like oh man he's got like really like soothing voice you know i did he's trying to say you got a face for radio is what he's trying to say yeah oh i say that i say that to myself so (laughs) um no but it's funny man like i I, i've been i've been saying a lot more recently i've been saying it more publicly recently actually um that you know i've been i've been tagged as a very negative person i've been tagged as a villain i've been tagged as uh, an asshole i've been you know and, and and i don't think any of those things are true I think I'm a, I'm a friendly guy. I think I'm a funny guy. I think I'm a nice guy. I just happen to not agree with the way that soccer is set up in this country. And if that makes me a villain, okay, I'm, I'm willing to take that. You know, if, if, if I, if I'm, if me disagreeing with the way that USSF and MLS has stolen soccer from the majority, the overwhelming majority of American soccer fans. If that, if that makes me an asshole, because I say that I'll take it. I'll try to keep this question as quick as possible. Where were you when you saw the light, when it comes to that stuff? 
Like, cause I can remember like when I learned about some and I learned about the inner workings of contracts and the ownerships of MLS and, and how all that ties into US soccer. I can remember just being like, what have I been like, what Kool-Aid have I been drinking for the last 20 years? No, and I, I don't, I don't think that, um, like I said, on the other side, like you lived it because like you said, like not having that in your area. Yeah. And, and I think that we or I, I, and I, and I, I've been making sure I've been conscious about this too recently about saying that, you know, I base everything off of my own personal experiences, right? So my personal experience of growing up, you know, without the, the club soccer growing up, you know, having a family that really enjoyed baseball as well. Uh, my grandparents were big baseball fans and I was raised uh, going to baseball games and things like that too. I, I was, you know, addicted to sports center at one, at one point in my, in, in my teenage years. Me too. Um, yeah. And so like, it, it just becomes normal. Like it, like it just, it, the message and, and the information just becomes normal at some point and you, you just become numb to, to, to all of it, I guess. And, um, I don't, I don't think I, I can't, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I can't recall like a specific time or moment or, or whatever, um, where I saw the light or, or, you know, come to Jesus moment. But, um, but I, I can say that it was, you know, through, you know, it was through three, four, three though. And it was, it was, you know, through reading some of the blog posts and, and so it was probably, uh, it was probably an education over time. So that's why I probably can't remember in, like an exact moment because it was probably over the series of, you know, five, six, seven, eight blog posts that, that you know, that Gary probably put out um, where he kind of pieced, pieced together, left maybe breadcrumbs that kind of mm-hmm. led, led you to, hey, like, you know, here. And, and this is actually true as well. And, and I've learned this after working with Gary for, for quite a while. It's like he, he does leave the breadcrumbs and he lets you kind of figure it out. And, that, and that's the same way with the, with the coaching education program that we have too. It's like, it's not a recipe. It's not like do this and, and you're going to get this. It's like, Hey, here's a bunch of information, take it to your own environment. And then you do whatever you want with it. And, and, yeah. and, and so like he had kind of written, you know, certain things about American soccer. I mentioned that you had written certain things about college soccer as well. And so when you put all those things together and you, and, and you paint the own picture for yourself, then you're like, oh wow, like you know that that all makes sense. Um, and, and so, yeah, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think that there was a moment. I think it was over time. And now, um, what I, what I've kind of decided, or what I've, what I've realized is, I only see more people moving that direction and less people going the other way. I, I, I actually, I see hardly any people moving from like a promotion relegation camp um, or that side to supporting just MLS. Like I only see people leaving the other side and thinking that promotion relegation is, you know, what the future should hold for American soccer. I don't see other people going the other way. So I, when I listen to you speak, I, because everybody knows I'm a wrestling guy. I hear like three different wrestlers in the way you talk (laughs) and the way that you speak. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there going, dude is dropping a CM Punk pipe bomb. (laughs) This is incredible. And then I hear some like old school Dean Ambrose when he was John Moxley. And I'm just like, this, like if, if soccer was wrestling, like you would be those guys, dude, I have to send you the promo that I helped my, I helped my buddy film because he's an aspiring professional wrestler. He actually built himself. Nice. As the, 
he uh, he built himself as the best mid card wrestler. Yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll and say they have, there has to be best mid carders. There has to be. Yeah. No. He uh, he actually went to a wrestling school out in um, uh, Moline, Iowa. Um, yeah, it's that's by me actually. Yeah. Um, and it's, he he went to what's the, what's the champion's name? Um, Dan Gable. No, 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 no. Uh, oh, maybe old, old champion. Seth Rollins. Oh, he went to Black and Brave. He went to Black and Brave. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So, and then he now he's out here in, back in California, and he's mid carding it up. Yeah, he's mid carding it up. He's he's got a funny character, but I'll send you the video that the, the oh, promo sure. that I cut with him. It's funny. For sure, and I will in turn send you my professional wrestling highlight videos. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I cut a few promos back in my day. Nice. Uh, we got John uh, with us from 343. You know, the thing about Soccer Chat is it's all about getting coaches connected, uh, being able to reach out. How uh, th- This is your – I want to say how can people reach out to you. Give us your plugs, everything that you want to get out there because uh, mm-hmm. we want people to go check out your stuff as well. So everything that you've got that people can check out, how can they get to it? How can they contact you? Absolutely. Um, we're probably the most active on, on Twitter. I think, you know, for whatever reason, Soccer America has, you know, really gravitated towards Twitter. So we're, we're very active on there. Yeah. Um, my, my personal Twitter handle is that Croatian guy. Um, do you guys, do you guys have like a webpage? Will you link to it or something? Can I say link, yeah. link in the show notes? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that Croatian guy, that's actually my, my handle on across all social media, um, which is very it, clever. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. First time, the first time I saw somebody like retweet you and I was reading this comment, I was just like, okay, like this sounds cool. Well, who wrote this? That Croatian guy. What the <laughs> hell is that? <laughs> yeah, it works. It works. And that's how I, you know, growing up, you, like you asked me before we started recording, how do you say your name? Um, and that's kind of, I'm like sure the, I still butchered it. Yeah, it's all good. But people didn't know how to, like, didn't know how, like how to say my name. And, and, you know, that always started a conversation about my heritage. Like, Oh, where are you from? Like, Oh, you know, half Croatian, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that's the the genesis of the name. But uh, at at that Croatian guy, um, if you type that in YouTube, some of the coaching videos that I've, I've put out will pop up. Um, I host the 343 podcast. If you search 343 FM, um, just in, in your Google machine, um, It'll spit out a bunch of different things and you can find it on, on Apple podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google play, on whatever little podcast catchers uh, you use. It'll be there. Um, the, the common misconception, I guess, about what I do or about what we do is that people think that we're only a podcast, um, which, uh, which blows my mind because I, I mentioned that we have a coaching program at the beginning of every episode. Um, <laughs> but we have how many people just like fast forward to the beginning I, of everything. I know, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so we, we also offer a coaching education, um, online, online coaching education course. Um, it's a multi-year program. So when you sign up the first year, you get, uh, you know, the first batch of content and then you get the next layer in year two, the next layer in year three and so on. Um, and we're, you know, we're continually adding to that. Um, we're also in the process of developing an individual player course. So most of the stuff that we've, we've done in the past is all geared towards coaches and towards teams, but we realize that there's a need and a want for parents or by more or players, you know, how can, how can they work on stuff individually? 
And so we're using our experiences working with some of the guys like Alex Mendez and Ulianes and Efra Alvarez. We're using that experience to then uh, to then create a course um, to educate players, not just not just a training course either, not just like a um, you know here's how to do a step over, you know here's how to do a Cruyff turn. It's it's more of like an educational experience and, and getting them to be able to see and understand the things when they're happening in real games, and then see that example. Um, and how to train it. And so we, we will show like a training example of one of those guys, one of the, one of the top level guys um, kind of doing that in a training environment and then encouraging the, the players to then go do it in, on their own. So it's more of an educational experience versus like a, um, uh, like a personal training, I guess, uh, program. I don't know the right way to say that, but that, that should be out sometime in 2019. If I get my shit together and get it done. Um, shouldn't we all shouldn't <laughs> yeah we all. yeah so but uh you can find all that at three four three so the numbers three four and three uh coaching all spelled out dot com awesome well john pronich thank you i said it that right that time right yeah you nailed it dude pronich i <laughs> see i can do this i can do this john pronich <laughs> with us from three four three go check out his show go check out their website great content for you make sure to give him a follow at that croatian guy john thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, and I'm, I'm sorry that it's raining there so you can't go over to the beach but do us a favor <laughs> and as soon as it gets sunshiny again go over to the beach and think about us i will i will man thank you guys for having me i really appreciate you guys all right, so you got to uh, you got to pick an entrance song. <laughs> Is this WWE? I'm coming out to it. Yes. <laughs> oh wow! Um, and it can be literally any song. Jesus, we've had a wide array of genres. Wow, this is uh, on the spot. This is tough. Let me see. I have my Spotify open right here. <laughs> maybe i'll just pick the first song <laughs> we always say like if there was a song that was like your favorite warm-up song growing up or like if you were gonna go to the ring to fight or wrestle like yeah uh, i know what i'm picking now so it's rage against the machine yes which song uh damn see that's a good that's a good I'm a, I'm a bulls on parade guy myself. Yeah. That's what my fingers on right like, now. Don't get me, like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love like testify. I love like a bunch of, bunch of songs, but like bulls on a parade cannot be beaten. Yeah. I like it. Bulls on parade. Bulls I'll take it. Hell yeah. <laughs> God, that, hell yeah. Me back. I, <laughs> that's like, that's that came out in like the mid nineties. I think right. Late yeah. 90s. Yeah. Late nineties. Yeah, yeah. No, I have a hard time seeing the Rizzo household listening to Rage Against the Machine. Uh, Rizzo household, no. Me, me, and my, <laughs> me and Spurs. Like I like I like like that like killing the name girl or radio. I, I could I could do a few. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> guess, guys, Bill and Katie is coming around. Turn the Rage Against the Machine off. <laughs> I mean, you, you heard my music taste. The stuff that they had to listen to is a little bit worse with like the NWA. Yeah, Tupac stuff. That's fine. All right, Rage Against the Machine. It is. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of the Three Four Three Podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 Coaching Education Program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. 
If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review. And I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.